I was sitting at my kitchen table. I called my best friend and I was like, I, I can't believe it. I was trying so hard not to marry my father that I married my fucking mother. <laughs> and it turns out as so often we yeah. do, we marry usually the wounds of our mother and father. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Carve Your Own Fucking Path, a podcast made to inspire you to create a life and business on your own terms. You'll hear candid interviews with people who have boldly decided to blaze their own trail and the occasional solo show with me, your host. I'm Willa McDonough, on-camera coach, storyteller, and remote video producer. Five years ago, I moved from my home base of San Francisco to the coast of Portugal, taking a big leap into the unknown. Some called it courageous, I called it carving my own fucking path. Today I live in Lisbon and run a business that elevates your online presence, helping you show up confidently on camera to create videos that showcase your brand and personality so you can get more visibility and attract clients by being yourself. If you're just starting out in business or you've been doing it for a while, you're sure to pick up tidbits of actionable advice and hopefully feel inspired by stories from people who have chosen the unconventional and sometimes messy path. And if you've been waiting for a sign to start carving your own fucking path, this is it. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for being on Carve Your Own Fucking Path. I'm delighted to have you. I'm delighted <laughs> and, um, to be here and I love the name. Oh, thank you. Sometimes people ask, can I swear? And I'm like, yeah, you can. Uh, you are a, a certified relationship coach and a divorce coach. You have been doing this a very long time and you have written a book and you have a podcast. And I, I was telling you earlier that I've been binging your podcast. We have hundreds of episodes and it's just, it's so relevant to so many different people that I know. And so I've been enjoying sending out episodes to people and you have a lot of coaches that you train all over the world that help you in the work that you're doing. I, I have a million questions, but I always like to start with a bit of your backstory and tuning in, you know, or, or bringing us into a moment that you decided I'm going to carve my own path. I got divorced in 2006, but the journey before then was really lengthy and it, I was I was looking at the numbers and I think I was only married for seven years before I started raising concerns going to marriage counselors you know really starting to realize that something was wrong and when when I started raising concerns with my ex it it got worse it was it became a higher conflict situation. So it took me, I was on the fence for a long time. I think those who have, especially have children, but those who were deciding, do I, should I stay or should I go? It's one of the most excruciating decisions to make. And, and it's not just your life. It's the life of the people that you've brought into the world. It's the life of the person that you committed to. And that was really hard. And so I tried and I tried and I tried and I got a therapist. And at one point, my therapist said to me, I kept saying, if I could just be clearer, if I could just articulate better. And she was like, Karen, you're crystal clear. If you wait to get clearer, you will never leave this relationship. And then she said to me, because I was in a very high conflict relationship, she said, and if you choose to stay, you are now 
as abusive towards your children as your spouses towards you. And that was like a cast iron pad off the side of my head. And I was like, she said, your pain tolerance is so high that I think you would stay through everything. But that means your children will too. Mm -hmm. So that was my moment. That was my moment of, I need to figure out what the hell is wrong with me and how I ended up here. And I need to take care of these two little people who at the time were, if I was in therapy, three and five, four and six around there, like little people. And, uh, and then, and then I started the journey and thank God I found a good therapist. And I went into a 12 step program that is all about keeping the focus on yourself. So the fact that Mm. I went into a 12 step program, my dad was an alcoholic, my ex engaged in some other substances and for me, the program was brilliant because that keep the focus on yourself was the most important thing that I could do. And it, mm-hmm. it changed my world and it changed my world and it informs the coaching that we now do. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so you have a 12 step divorce recovery program. So that's yeah. okay. That makes sense. It comes from that. I wanted to ask though, going much farther back as a kid, as a little girl, what was your vision? of your future and relationships and marriage? And what was your concept around that? Just curious. Yeah, it's so funny. I have two siblings. I'm I'm the middle. I'm the monkey in the middle. And uh, I was never going to get married and I was never going to have children. And I'm the only one who got married and I'm the only one who had children. (laughs) (laughs) So, so much. What do they say? we plan and God laughs. He's like, yeah, let's go Mm -hmm. with that one. So, (laughs) so I really, I I really, my parents' marriage was very unhealthy and we knew it. Mm -hmm. We knew it. My dad was a sweetheart. He was a passive aggressive, jolly alcoholic. They were married by 20, 21 years old. My mom had three kids in diapers and was Mm -hmm. dealing with an alcoholic. And I didn't know any of that. All I knew was she was a mean, nasty, rageaholic. Years later, I began to understand her, you know, the pain and the struggle and the loneliness and the overwhelm that she went through. But we were raised by a screaming, yelling mother and a jolly, but often absent father. And so One day I was sitting at my kitchen table. I called my best friend and I was like, I I can't believe it. I was trying so hard not to marry my father that I married my fucking mother. (laughs) And it turns out as so often we do, we marry usually the wounds of our mother and father. Like Mm -hmm. oftentimes, and I was listening to your other podcast on relationship where she said that they locked eyes and they met and it was like love at first sight and if you've ever read getting the love you want by Harville Hendricks and Helen Hunt they talk about how when you have that moment of thinking you met your soulmate there's something so incredibly familiar on a subconscious level because you know that person You Mm -hmm. know that person because that person is your mother and father or your caretakers, but, but, but a mixture of both their good and their bad or their difficult. And the difficult is what comes to the surface for us to 
refine and grow. And in healthy relationships, it grows into this rock solid marriage. In unhealthy relationships, it dissolves because one party loses themselves completely. And maybe the other party does too, or gets confused in their own way. And that's what happened. Okay. So you married your mother and the wounds that were there. And, and I married, and yeah. I married the propensities of my dad as well. But my mom was the part that because my, my ex had a lot of anger management issues. So that rageaholic piece was just very front and center for me. And, mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the final part of the story though, is I was crystal clear on my ex-husband's shortcomings, not so oh, much on my own. Before and, and that was, well, no, no, as, as the, as the, as everything was falling apart, I could mm. wax on about his shortcomings. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, that's usually where we meet people. It's like, let me tell you, my wife, mm-hmm. my husband, X, Y, and Z. And, and for me, the incredible awareness was when I started looking in the mirror and saying, okay, I know what he brought to the table. Yeah. That doesn't help me because if he's going to be part of my past and I'm going to be part of my future, I need to know what I brought to the table and I need to decide what stays and what goes and what needs to be added. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So during that time you had a therapist helping you. Yeah. That You've been coaching for almost, I mean, over 20 years. Was that a thing back then? You must've been blazing the the path in that way too, because it seems like coaching, not so common. Yeah. And, and I haven't been coaching for 20 years, but I have been coaching for 13 and 13 years ago, coaching in general was still in its infancy. Divorce coaching was kind of embryonic. It was like, I would go to attorneys and say, hi, I'm a divorce coach. Like, what is that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and and there was no such thing when I was divorcing. And even when I started in the business, there was a lot of explaining to do. Okay. I read my numbers wrong. You're right. <laughs> 13 that's, years. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I was like, wait. Yes. Thir- so yeah, 13 years ago, is the industry quite small still? I think, you know, it's so interesting compared to other industries. Yeah. So if you took a mm-hmm. look, if you took any city and you listed all of the divorce coaches and all the matrimonial attorneys, there's a gazillion matrimonial attorneys. A gazillion. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so there is, there's significantly more divorce coaches. There's more, if you, there's more divorce podcasts, there's more information out there for people. There's more of us doing that work than 12 years ago. But the statistic is that over a million individuals a year get divorced in the United States alone. Okay. I was going to ask this a lot. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of work to be done. So for any, anyone who is thinking about going into divorce coaching, I would say there are so many people who need our help. And for anyone who's a divorce coach and feels like, you know, there's, there's no business out there. There's a a ton of people Mm -hmm. and, and, and the world will be a better place as, as they get help healing and finding their definitely, path. definitely. And the the generations are so distinct. I feel like with the 50s, 60s, 70s, and then now, my understanding is that we're marrying later, 
we're choosing a bit better. This is very general. And I'm from San Francisco, that area. Most people don't get married and have children until their forties. So it's kind of a later place. Right. And, but do you see that? I mean, are you familiar, I guess, with the, the, the shifts in trends, I guess. You know, I was 34 when I got married, so I was hardly Mm. a young puppy. And that was part of my shame was I felt like, wow, I left home at 19. I got married at 34. I had I had a lot of years as Mm -hmm. a young adult on my own. I, I should have known what I wanted and what I didn't want. I think today I think you're right. I think that there's even a question of is marriage really the right way to go? You know, is there really that? forever person out there can I is it possible to have a forever person I think those are all good questions at the heart of it I firmly believe that marriage is a beautiful and brilliant thing and and when and when it dissolves rather than feeling like you're a failure there's an opportunity to believe that this was my path. This was going to happen. And when I, when I cross the road there and I have to decide or my spouse decides, right, to leave, there's the opportunity. There's the space where we can say, what have, where have I lost myself? Where have things gone sideways? And what can I learn about myself in order to enhance all of my relationships going forward? And, you know, yes. I was thinking about the title of your, your show and carve your own fucking path. I think that a dozen plus years of doing this, I think that one of the things that I've seen the most is how <clears throat> so few of us are standing in our authenticity. So many people don't even know yeah. what that is. They don't know who they are. We've, and it's often these really painful, difficult transitions that bring us to our knees mm-hmm. and invite us into that level of self-awareness and, and yes. really to scan ourselves and decide, well, you know, who was I? I was, I was such a bold and brazen young girl. My mom used to say, where did you come from? Everybody else in the family is shy. You go knocking on doors, you pick at teenagers drinking on the beach. Like I used to do the craziest things, but what are we all told to do? Like be quiet, be a nice girl, stop making so mm-hmm. much noise. Like, like, shrink down, shrink down, shrink down, shrink to what society wants and then go out and find your other person. You're not you. How do you go and find your other person? Yes, it's so true. It's so true. And that's the thing about again, marrying at any age, but especially younger, you're still developing that and, and trying to fit into the molds and the the timeline as well. You know, the structure that's mapped out for, for everyone. And you, you, you know, brought up the obvious point, like this is, was clearly one of the most devastating moments of your life. And then you've turned that into your life's work. How did that happen? What, can you talk a little bit about that, like that transition? And when did you decide that this was your path to do this work? I, I was really crushed. I was just 
I was so devastated. And I emerged from my divorce with two young children, $60,000 in debt, and an ex-husband who was calling my very tiny child support check, <clears throat> my monthly extortion check, which mm -hmm. might come and might not come. And I was in sales. I was 100% commissioned. So here I was like, so not on the top of my game, losing all of my clients, moving out into a house, not knowing how I was going to pay the bills. And I was raised Catholic, but I kept being invited to this Christian church. And so I went and it really spoke to me. And I ended up sitting on the couch like every morning, just crying to God saying, there has to be something other than commercial printing, selling commercial printing that you've that you have for me because you've brought me through this huge transition. You've given me this beautiful little home. I have these wonderful children and I've grown so much. So there has to be something. And I found a life coach who was looking to barter and he needed some marketing and some organizing, two things I was very good at. And I got to learn what a life coaching business looked like. And then I applied and once I decided, and that was the big decision, it was like, I have no money. Can I invest another, let's say it was like 10 grand to go through a program. And my mom sat me down because I was asking for her help. And she said, so who hires you after you go through the coaching program? And I said, nobody, like, nobody, yeah. mom. When I get out, I have to build my own business. And she, she told me, I think you're being irresponsible. I think you're being, I think you're being naive. <laughs> I think that, I think you're being foolish, but, but she supported me financially. And I just knew from the moment I, I my prayer was always God. If, if this is your path for me, I'm, I'm a little dense. So either blow the door open or slam it shut in my face. Like just, could we make it very black and white? And the doors kept flying open. And that's, and when I went into coaching, which is all about helping people through transition from where you are to where you want to be, I was like, okay, I was 14 when my parents got divorced. I just went through this terrible divorce. It's a huge transition. And I just knew from that point forward, this is my niche. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I think I could do it really well. Mm -hmm. So just strong, strong intuition. Strong intuition against evidence that was proving otherwise. <laughs> yeah. So in the beginning, there were many, I mean, as I would imagine with so many who start their own business, as a single mom, there were months where I thought the spreadsheet doesn't work and there's no money to pay the bills. There's just no money mm -hmm. to pay the bills. And every month, the money would come. Just mm -hmm. enough money. Rarely additional money. Wow. But yeah. That it was fascinating. I would get just enough clients. I would have just enough money, and then it started building. And then it and and I would whenever I had an extra dollar, I invested it in the company. I thought mm -hmm. if I, and and I think so many people who go into coaching and end up it ends up being like a part time gig. And so people say, well, what do you think drove your success? And and I knew that failure wasn't an option. If I failed, me and the kids would be on the street. Not an option. Mm -hmm. And that was really, it sounds like a slightly negative driving force, Willow, but that was it for me. No. Yeah. That's in the belief in yes. yourself and the work yep. you were doing. This was, this is 
very, very deeply personal work. It's not selling printing, you know, materials. So if in that way, it's like, this was, this was your mission and there was no, no turning back. Sounds like, were you still in the process of grieving and, you know, going through your process while you were coaching? You know, one of the things I talk about with my clients about grief is it, it surprises you. So here I was so tired of the relationship and then I drove the divorce and then the divorce was so long and expensive and ugly and unnecessary. I, I was not practicing what I, what I coach now. I was angry. I was unforgiving. I was condemning. I was, so one day I found myself sit, sitting on the beach, crying my eyes out and nobody was more surprised. And I just was, I was rocking back and forth saying it wasn't supposed to be this way. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm still grieving. Like I thought I was so angry and so over it that there couldn't mm -hmm. be any grief left. And yet once the dust settled, that part of me that had fallen in love with this man that had brought these children into the world really needed to say something to me, which is it wasn't supposed to be this way. And of course, it was supposed to be that way, but the grief was was there. And 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 I think that there were waves of it. By the time I started coaching, they were pretty small, but grief is funny that way, you know? Mm -hmm. You could you could be happily in another relationship and go to a wedding and like get teary-eyed because of, you know, your own wedding and how it ended up. And so yeah, I think that right. we have to be really, really honoring of those moments and not, we don't need to understand them even. We just need to let them be. Mm -hmm. Very good advice. Instead of judging it, I hear this too. Yeah, I'm, I'm a failure or I'm over it. It's like, you know, we try to talk ourselves into these things rather than just being and letting it just come up just and then be with release. Yeah. I'm curious, people that have not been married or that are going into a marriage, what is your advice on a the conversation or something that you need to know before? You know, I just did a whole series on healthy romantic relationships and, and every guest was phenomenal. And one of the guests was a woman named Susan Scott. She wrote, I knew her because she had written a book called Fierce Conversations, which I read mm -hmm. early on in my career and highly recommend. She had gotten so much feedback. She wrote another book called Fierce Love, which just recently came out. And she made a statement in our interview that like completely took me. She said, Karen, Karen the conversation is the relationship. Mm. I like that. And when I think yeah. back to the conversations I had with my spouse, it was the relationship. And so I would say to those of you who are falling in love and thinking get, about getting married, respect is foundational. You'll have that now. You have the chemistry, you have the, oh my God, this is my person for the rest of my life. Look at the conversations. Is there something that you're not saying that you want to say? Are there topics that haven't brought, been brought up because of fear or discomfort? If you're going to spend a life together, are you talking about money? Are you talking about sex? Are you talking about kids? Are you talking? And I think that what I would say is it's a great book, Fierce Love. If you're interested, 
look at your conversations and make sure that everything that's important to you, you're talking about, and that authentic piece. Are you showing up as you? Are you swallowing something because you don't want to upset the romantic moment? Are you not bringing something up because you're afraid of hurting his feelings? Like, are you being authentic in your voice, in your word, in your conversations? And I think that that's a great guide for people mm -hmm. who are falling in love. That's really good. What about when you talk too much and process too much? So, you know, the Ask interesting thing is in America, especially, I think we believe that our lover is supposed to be our our everything mm -hmm. and and it was why am i forgetting her name eat pray love elizabeth gilbert yes she wrote mm -hmm. a book after that committed and one of the really yes. interesting things she said she traveled the world and most women in the rest of the world processed with their girlfriends Mm -hmm. So the, the 20,000 words a day that we say, we do that with our girlfriends. And then you bring to your lover the crib notes version. And it's, it's not that black and white, but I do think that if you're an external processor, I had a couple I was coaching. He was an internal processor and a spinal surgeon. This is a guy who had to make decisions like on a snap. And he was married to an ADD external processor who was brilliant and lovely. Simply their communication yeah. styles had them judging each other so much. She figured he doesn't want to tell her what he's thinking. And he's thinking, could you make a freaking decision? Every time you talk, you're saying something different. So mm -hmm. communication is such a big thing. And if you tend to be an external processor, and you need to talk a lot, it doesn't all have to happen with your partner. Okay. I needed to hear that. I'm an external yes. processor, big time. <laughs> and I love it, you know, with girlfriends. And I think I, because I have that level of depth and, you know, that, that dynamic with, with close friends, I, I kind of automatically assume, well, this is, should be the same in, in partnership. And it's, it's different. Everyone has different, different modes ways. of communicating. So you kind of have to just learn and then respect, sounds like. And actually Heather. it's a great thing to talk about. It's a great thing. Like, so if you and your partner, if you're getting the sense that he's like, all right, Willow, bring it up, have a conversation about being an external processor, have him talk about how he processes. It's actually everything brought to conversation can bring love and light. Mm. everything brought to conversation can bring love and light. And if it doesn't, if it brings condemnation or criticism, then that's good information, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Not something Definitely. to walk away from. Don't not do it because you're afraid of that. Do yeah. it because you're afraid of that. Because if what you get is something that doesn't work for you, it's always mm -hmm. good information. And then you yes. can make decisions based on that. Right. So the next question is around that. You're in a relationship. There's issues as in all. When is it time to potentially end it or mend it? Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite thing is should you end or should you mend? And I always, if you, the one caveat is if you're in any physical danger, you just end. 
Like you just walk away. However, if it's anything else, whether you've been with this person for six months or six years, they know your triggers and your buttons. And so much of that happens on a subconscious level. There's no better place to work on yourself than in your current relationship. Seinfeld once had a an episode, right? That I'm the master of my own domain. It's very easy to be like all good when you're by yourself. It's when you're in relationship with another adult with different Mm -hmm. beliefs and propensities and cultural backgrounds and habits and all of these things. So if you're thinking about, should I end or should I mend? I would say, start looking at your part, totally look in the mirror and say, what am I bringing to the table? And Maybe I'm explosive. Maybe I, I have a sense of humor where I like needle the other person. Maybe I've lost my voice. Maybe I'm a perfectionist or I'm codependent or I have anger management issues. Whatever your stuff is, see if you can put a list together of the top three to five things that you think you bring to the table. And your ego mind's going to go, yeah, but he X, Y, and Z. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We're not... In 12-step program, one of my favorite things that I learned was keep your side of the street clean and don't be crossing the street and sweeping his Mm. side. That's not your business. Even if he's your partner, your husband, it's not your business. Keep your side of the street clean. So if you're thinking of ending or mending, keep your side of the street clean. And as you sweep and clean, he's either going to change and come closer or go further away and you can start having yeah. conversations about what you're doing. Is there acknowledgement that you're, does he even see that you're being different? Are you being different? When you do that, when people stay in marriage or relationship and work on themselves, the should I end or should I mend becomes really crystal clear. And regardless of which path you take down the road, you now have all of that time of self-work under your belt, which is brilliant. And so you have this mm-hmm. opportunity to heal your wounds, to refine your character and to move the ball forward. And if it turns out it's not right, cool, you're better off. And if it turns out it's right, even better because now you're built, you're mending the relationship too. Mm, that's great. So yeah, keep your, your side clean. And what about suggesting that the other person clean their side of the street? Well, so if you say it once, if you say it once, you're sharing a perspective or information. If you say it multiple times, you're trying to control. If you're trying, Mm. so unless your spouse is deaf deaf or dumb, you really don't (laughs) need to say it more than once. And so you say it, you sit down, you have a really thorough conversation. Did you hear me? Can you reflect back to me what you heard? That's great. I'm so glad you heard what I had to say. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Then sit back, work on Mm -hmm. yourself. And because what are the possibilities? What are they going to say? I forgot. Okay, that's good information. What about I'm scared? I didn't think you really meant it. I'm scared of doing my own work. Mm. Okay, that's fair. So if somebody's scared, then the careful thing here is you don't want to be your spouse's counselor. Um, Mm. So if they're scared, but they want to do the work, then I would say ask a couple of good coaching questions. 
-hmm. You know, what do you need to get past your fear? Who would be a good person for you to work with? What do you have to do to make that happen? What kind of a time frame do you have for yourself? How can I support you? Last question. Right. That's good. The there is divorce, let's say therapists, right? Yes. And then coaches. Could you just quickly give, you know, for people that might not understand what coaching is exactly, potentially the difference between a coach and a therapist? Because I find that sometimes the fear is around digging up the past and, you know, where traditional yes. therapy is quite that way. In coaching yeah. Is. And it's a great question. Yes. Yeah, so Many of our clients have a therapist and work with us and, and therapy to your point is I'm not, I'm not a mental health expert as, as much as I've read and I've done my own work and I can share perspectives. I don't have the capability to explain psychologically what's going on or to help heal the wounds of the past. That's what a therapist is for. They're going to really help you understand how you got to where you are and go back with you to child of origin issues and help you to sort through and heal. That's really important. I've been in years of therapy. It's incredibly valuable. What a coach does is takes you from where you are to where you wanna be. And that doesn't mean we don't touch on family of origin issues. We absolutely wanna put all the cards on the table, but our, so our ability to help you let me give you an example. You go to your therapist, you find out, okay, you know, dad was an alcoholic, mom was a rageaholic, and, and I have some work to do. But then I go home and there's a blow up and me and my ex, soon to be ex, are screaming and yelling at each other. That therapy appointment, as helpful as it was for my history, is not helping me in the moment. You now get on the phone with your coach and your coach says, okay, so let's take a look at that, that argument. What triggered you? What was the thought in your head when he spoke to you that way? How did that make you feel? How is that part of a pattern of how you guys engage? If you could roll the clock back and do it differently, what would you do differently? What would be a strategy that you could hold on to the next time an explosion is about to start so that you can honor your desire to show up as your better self. Okay, do we need a mantra? Let's create a mantra. What's your mantra? What's your five word mantra that you're gonna hold on to so that you don't go down that slippery slope? So we create this, we take everything you learned about yourself and we create the strategy that helps you on a day in and day out basis to be your best self and navigate your divorce in a way that's gonna serve you, your kids, the whole family best. And so it's it's much more strategic, it's interactive, it's, it's in the moment and it's helping through the current emo emotional turmoil. Very emotionally based, but very different from therapy. Does that okay. help? Yes, definitely. It's really helpful. And in emotionally based is I think one of the most important you know, it's it, the logistics are part, but that just seems a lot of the time it's the emotions that really need the, the processing. It's, it's interesting that you say that so many people come to us and I've spoken to my team about this. They come to us because they don't know what attorney to hire or they're afraid of their finances. And, you know, my feeling is, come on, I'm going to coach you on that because right below that surface is all that other work. 
and mm -hmm. we can't help but get to it. So if you're thinking of reaching out for help, you don't want a divorce coach who's just about nuts and bolts. You want somebody who's comfortable, familiar, capable of doing the deep emotional work. And the other thing, other big difference I've heard people hire a therapist and the therapist is often fabulous and, and they're reliant on them, but that therapist doesn't know the world of divorce. They know it a little bit like the average person knows it, but this right. is a world I swim in. I have attorney connections mm -hmm. all over the place, financial connections all over the place. I understand what a preliminary conference is. I can explain the difference between mediation, collaboration, litigation. I can guide you through the roadmap of divorce, the practical parts of divorce and support you in making the best decisions and connecting with the best people every step of the way and help you with all of that emotional turmoil. Whereas a therapist is, is very niched into your wounds and your past. Right, that's so huge. All the things you just named. Yeah. That's, that's major. Now, you, you've said that men have a different time in divorce or, or process divorce differently. They have different challenges. How do, they, how do men's challenges in divorce differ from women's? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is we have more in common than we have different. And I think that's a very important thing to say. Most divorce coaches are women coaching women. And we've okay. made a very conscious decision to coach the men as well. So we have about 30, 35% of our client base is men. And so they're different because number one, men aren't raised to talk about their feelings. And so in some ways, if you imagine that you have a cork in that and nobody taught you how to take it out, that, that could be really you'll implode if you can, or you'll explode, but you're not dealing with it. So is often much more comfortable for men. That's what I've heard than therapy because mm. it does seem more nuts and bolts and we don't have to really go there. We always go there, but we go there in their time and on their path. And, and so once the trust is built, they do start talking about those things. Oftentimes, and this is by no means always the case, but I do think that we still have men more as the primary earner. And so oftentimes, whereas women are very concerned about their financial well-being, men are often really concerned about losing their children, that they're actually going to be discriminated against because the, the division of labor in the household had them out of the household earning money. And, and, and now someone's going to go to court and say, well, he didn't spend time with his kids, but that wasn't his primary job. That was her primary job. So they have that fear. And then with a lot of men who are in business and negotiating, their fear and anxiety comes through as aggression. And so there's a lot of conversations about how are you communicating with your soon-to-be ex? And maybe her either imploding or exploding also has something to do with the way that you're approaching her. And you cannot negotiate in the bedroom the way you negotiate in the boardroom. That will not work well. That is not going to serve anybody. And so, so we talk about communication. We talk about 
belief systems, like, you know, the courts are set up, I'm screwed. And it's like, okay, how true mm -hmm. is that? Does that belief serve you? Is that triggering you and causing you to be more aggressive? Are there other possibilities? And so we, we support men in those ways. And then I'll say it again. I, I have men who I've worked with who are married to narcissists, who have lost themselves, who who are who are married to alcoholics who were the primary caretaker and worried about and walking on eggshells and so all of the things that we typically hear of women it's just not that black and white yes there are more male narcissists than female narcissists and there might be more high conflict personalities on the male side than the female side but one of the reasons we do co-ed groups is because we don't we we want to do everything we can to not not label men are bad women women are victims mm -hmm. men are villains like this is we do that does yeah. not serve anybody nobody's a villain and a victim let's look at each individual's part and so when we have these groups and men share in a group that might be three quarters women we always get this amazing feedback from the women like it is okay. so healing and soothing on both sides to hear the other side. So mm -hmm. yes, yeah, so there's a lot of beauty in that. Definitely. I love that you have both. And then, then you have group sessions. Yeah. Okay. I want to, yeah, I want you to talk more about your offerings as well. And you, you've mentioned high conflict a couple of times. So I wanted to, yeah. to ask about that because High conflict means you're you're in with someone that's high this high drama in the relationship, or could you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so you know everyone thinks they're divorcing a narcissist, and and we actually will use that word a lot because because it resonates with people, and we want we want them to come and listen often so that we can say he or she probably isn't a narcissist, but they could be a difficult person. And so a high conflict personality, I'm going to give you a, a list of things that fall under the narcissistic definition. And I want your listeners to keep in mind that everything's a spectrum. We all have some mm -hmm. narcissism in us. So yeah. if you're dealing with someone where they're always right and you're always wrong, where their thinking is very black and white. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it falls into either right or wrong, where there is never an apology or there is often criticism or judgment. If so, so black and white thinking, if they revise history, if you're like, I used to do this all the time. I used to be like, am I losing my mind? Like, I really don't remember mm. it happening that way. Revisionist history is a big thing. And so, oh, wow. and, and if, if you're open-minded and you're married to someone who, who does all of these things as an open-minded person, you're going to say, well, I should look at myself. If, if that's what he or she sees, I should look at myself. But when we're so open-minded with some of these personalities, all they see is their perspective. So of course they're a thousand percent certain because they can't see any perspective but theirs versus most healthy-minded people can see a couple of perspectives mm. or many perspectives. And so these are things. So when you're negotiating or trying to end a relationship or mend a relationship with somebody and you, you 
you share your part, but then it's all your fault or, or the history's revised or, or everything's black and white and there's no gray when the world is gray. You're dealing with someone who's, have, who's gonna have a hard time in any relationship in life. It makes them high conflict because it's very hard to, and transparency, that's the other thing. Is there transparency? Are they, when you ask questions, do you just, or when you say, I have a problem, do they just deflect and say, well, I have a bigger problem? <laughs> hmm. Or are they transparent? Will they talk about uh, about where they were last night or, or where their paycheck is going? Or so there's all types of things that, that disallow compromise and transparency when you're dealing with those personalities. Does okay. that help? Definitely. Yes. And narcissism, I, it's thrown around all over the place. It's become, I don't know why, but a label that is, I think, used too often because it's quite a, a diagnosis, isn't it? To be, to be labeled that. So that's good that yes. to clear that up, I think. And, and I think it's very important. This is kind of a, a, a submission of mine. Anybody out there who is on the narcissistic spectrum, who is, who does have borderline personality disorder, who is on the autistic or the whatever spectrum they're on, they didn't ask for it. They did not ask for it. These mm. are not people who thought, I want to wake up mean, ugly, and displeasing every day. They, that's not where they came from. These mm -hmm. are human beings that were born... And either it was their DNA or their socialization, their parents right. and their parents' issues that created them to be this way. And so if you've been abused by someone like that, take care of yourself, set strong boundaries. And now might not be the time to find compassion. I never thought I would find compassion for my ex. I have mm. such deep compassion for him. He, mm -hmm. he, he, he lost his marriage. He lost his relationship with his children. He, he doesn't see his part in it. He blames the world for all of his misgivings. It's heartbreaking to see a man who in his heart of heart is, is, is not a bad person, but who has disordered thinking and ways of seeing the world. And so if you have these people in your life set firm boundaries and take care of yourself and see if you can find a soft spot in your heart to have a little compassion for what they're going through because they didn't ask for it. Mm -hmm. And then you're releasing that from yourself again, like the letting go forgiveness and all that. That's huge. Yeah. Instead of, I find so many of, of the advices is, is just so it's all, it's like equally negative. Yeah. and and kind of demonizing these these personalities yeah yeah and i think that that forgiveness comes before compassion and so i'm glad you brought that up because if you could find a way to and you may not forgive you may not in the moment like i found it really hard because i felt like there were offenses every day so it's like god it's so much easier to forgive like my alcoholic dad, because it's not happening anymore, but to forgive even my ex when every day something else or every week something else is still happening. And so you, you start with, if I don't forgive, I'm holding bitterness and resentment in my heart. 
And here I'm trying to raise children. I have girlfriends, I have relationships. That bitterness and resentment is a poison. So mm -hmm. let me first forgive for myself. Let me cut the ties that bind me to my anger and frustration toward that other person. And then that will invite in the softness of heart that over the course of time can turn to compassion. And, and I'll say it again, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries with these people. They're not bad people. They're not evil people. They are displeasing to be in relationship with, and it's your responsibility to protect yourself with boundaries, boundaries, mm -hmm. boundaries, the biggest topic. Could you give us an example of a boundary and how to set one? Because I find that that's a bit confusing. Yeah. I love talking about boundaries. I'm going to give a, a quick 101 because this I think is so important. Yeah. Before you protect yourself with a boundary, you need to, you, it, it is vitally important to understand boundaries for ourselves. And so what I often find when I start speaking to someone is he made me feel and she made me do. Yeah. That is a broken boundary. Nobody can make me feel, Willow, you could say something and I could walk away and go, wow, I feel really insecure about this thing. That's about me. Willow didn't make me feel insecure. Willow said something that helped me notice that I have some insecurity to work on. Willie, Willow didn't make me yell at her. I yelled at her because I had a reaction. I need to own it. So the first boundary rule is own your thoughts, own your feelings, own your actions. They're yours. And no matter what the other person does, I raised my kids on this saying, they're in their 20s and they come to me advice, I still say it. Don't ever let somebody else's bad behavior determine yours. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, he made me do that yep. because he did not. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. And then with protective boundaries, it's a two-step dance. Most people can figure out the first step. The second step, they often get wrong. So the first step is, I'm going to use one that I used all the time. My ex-husband, he, he, <laughs> I called him a serial monologuer. I didn't have to be part of the conversation. He would just talk. And so he'd get on the phone and whether he was happy talking or angry talking, he would be talking and I couldn't get him off the phone. And so I would say, mm -hmm. so I started saying I had a coaching appointment. It was a white lie. John, <laughs> I got I to go, I got to go, I got to go. And I got to the point where it felt so bad the first time, but I, I said to him, I'm going to say it one more time. And if you don't stop talking, I'm going to hang up on you. Mm -hmm. I have to go. And he kept talking and I hung up the phone and I felt terrible because I don't hang up on anyone who hangs up on someone who's in the middle of a conversation. And then I thought, who am I honoring by staying on the phone? Me or him? I'm honoring him. Mm -hmm. And so my boundary, my boundary is we need to end the conversation. That was the first step. The second step wasn't getting him to stop talking. That's where everyone goes wrong. Upholding a boundary is not about getting the other person to change their behavior. You set the boundary and they change their behavior or they don't. Once they don't, 
your plan has to be, how do I uphold the boundary? So you uphold the boundary by hanging up the phone, by closing the front door, by walking out of the room, by grabbing your keys and leaving, by choosing not to put yourself in that position the next time, even though they promise you it'll never happen again. You choose not to do that because that hasn't rung true. You change your behavior to uphold a boundary and you feel empowered. Most people like, I set boundaries all the time and they just blow them through. And I'm like, that's because that second step is vital, vital to know how to uphold your own boundary and honor yourself in doing so. Mm-hmm. That was that was a good example. Thank you. It's like, if you do this, I will do that. Exactly. And you, you, yeah, and you and have to follow you through. Do it. And then <laughs> yeah. you have to follow through. And, and that's, that's and the key. It, if you're, if you've been boundary oblivious, I'll just say, I was raised without boundaries. You know, I wasn't raised in a musical household. If somebody handed me a violin, I wouldn't play very well. Mm-hmm. If you're learning boundaries for the first time, gentle kindness and compassion for yourself. It's it's a skill set that we all have to learn. It is. And if you're boundary oblivious, you probably married a boundary oblivious person. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you didn't and he or she can help you. But the truth is none of us know until we learn. And this is a skill. And when you learn it and you start getting good at it, it is it is very freeing and empowering. And a boundary is not a steel wall. It is not to be used as a weapon. A boundary is pliable. It's like a garden gate. You can open it and close it as you so choose. And you use it as a protection and and to honor yourself. And you uphold it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You can never let the other person or blame the other person for for crossing because because it's on you. Yeah, I I would see this like big tractor plowing down my boundary. Like that was the vision in my head. And I was like, okay, so my boundaries are being plowed down. So how do I do it differently so that they stay up? And right. and it was it's a learning curve. It is. I'm glad that you you said that because I, I think there's this this you know well idea that we should just have boundaries in place set. And then if we don't, then we're, we have no self-respect, but it is a learned thing. You're so yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I would okay. say with anything, almost anything that we talk about, if you're, if you're, if you feel like you're not good at like this thing called life, any, <laughs> any skill, any, anything that someone else is like, what's your problem? You should know kind, gentle, compassion. When we look at everything we did learn that we didn't really need that much. And then you think of like all the things we wished we had learned. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, and if I could just get a little bit on my soapbox, everything you're learning, you you pour it into your kids. My kids in their mid twenties blow me away. They are so much more emotionally intelligent, articulate, boundaried, Mm. their ability at, in their 20s far exceeds mine when I got divorced. And, and, and so we can heal the world by pouring into our children and doing the other work that we do. And it's just priceless. Mm-hmm. Well, that leads me to my, my last, one of my last questions. What are you most proud of? 
up until this point? I'm most proud of my children. I mean, for all the work that I've done and I'm tickled about the journey that I'm on, at the end of the day, bringing human beings into the world, raising confident, strong women, articulate, heart-centered men, I am overwhelmingly proud of the human beings that I've had the honor to support into their adult years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so you have a boy and a girl. I have a boy and a girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. My son just turned 26. My daughter will be 24 <laughs> at the end of the year. And let me tell you, if you saw them and their stories, it's not necessarily pretty. There have been mm -hmm. a lot of struggles. They came from a really rocky household and so you know I was recently in a group of people and whose whose child was at this Ivy League school and whose child had landed this job and that 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 wasn't that wasn't part of what I needed to praise my kids for it wasn't part of what I could praise my kids for and yet I sat there and I thought wow one could feel very insecure in that community of people. And I just thought I am hands down a thousand percent proud of my kids and where they are. And they all have that. And I tell them all the time, it's like, do not compare yourself to your friends. Your journey is yours. You've been created and you have a destiny on this earth and you are incredible and capable and, and there is no comparison. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. And they've seen you in your journey. And that's the thing is it's all this modeling, this, this path that you've chosen. And yeah, I want to commend you again for the work that you're doing and bringing yeah. it to such a large scale. Again, your, your podcast is reaching so many people and, and your book and the other coaches. And I just, this is such powerful, powerful work that is so necessary. So thank you for Thank this. you. And we do, we feel so honored for what we're able to do. It's, it's really a gift. What are you most looking forward to right now? So um, I just turned 61 a couple of days ago and, and this year was a very big year for me. I lost my mom this past year and I landed back in New York and my kids used to be a thousand miles away from me and that now they're one lives across the street and the other one's a half hour away. So oh, nice. I am looking forward to this next chapter of life where I get to delight in watching my children find their way. And I have the openness and freedom to invite a partner into my life, which is something that I am absolutely certain is going to happen. And awesome. I want to play more. I want to totally mm -hmm. enjoy building my business. And for me, adding more leisure, recreation, and play into life is, is very important to me. And so mm -hmm. I moved by the beach and I got a puppy and me and the nice. puppy walk on the beach <laughs> and I ride my bike and I swim in the ocean and I'm, I'm building this next chapter and pretty excited about it. Sounds great. And you're in yeah. New York. I'm in New York and there is a gorgeous Atlantic ocean in Queens, New York. And I'm a black. Okay. Amazing. Most people okay. don't realize that. <laughs> I was trying to think what beach you were going to. Okay. That's very cool. And where can people find you? 
I'll Thanks link so all your things. Asking. Yeah. Yeah. So the company is Journey Beyond Divorce. And for those podcasters, we have a podcast Journey Beyond Divorce with series. We have a high conflict series, a high net worth series. We have a coaching from the Mike JBD Team Talk series. And we also have a Voices of Celebration series where clients talk about their worst fears never Ooh. coming true and what their life after divorce looks like. So definitely check that out. It's great. And then I have I have a a free offer, if I could. Definitely. Yes, please. So we've designed something that we call a rapid relief call. And it's a one hour coaching call on the house with any of our mm. team members. And so often when people resonate with what I'm talking about, they kind of need rapid relief. They're up to their neck. They don't know which way to go. They don't know the right support. And so our rapid relief call gives you an opportunity to work through any issue you want and to find out if any of the various programs or one-on-one -on -one coaching that we offer would be a good fit. And so rapidreliefcall.com okay. is the link and you can go and book your free call. I will link that. That's amazing that you do that because it is in those moments where people reach out or that's, a, you know, they wait until that point yeah. of, you know, crisis, let's say. So I think being able to have that, that opportunity to speak to someone is really very valuable. Yeah. And it's our way of giving back and we love it. So mm -hmm. Karen, this was lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> we covered a lot of territory. I love your show. I, I love oh, being thank you. here with you. Really appreciate you. And I'm just going to dive into all of your episodes. So thank, thank you. you. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being here. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference for visibility. And even better, share this episode with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode every other Wednesday. If you're interested in working together to elevate your online presence, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on Instagram at whereiswillow. I also hang out on LinkedIn, Willow McDonough. Until then, cheers to carving your own fucking path. I love you.